0: Welcome to the High Reliability Podcast, presented by Goslin Martin Associates. I'm your host, Peter Martin, president of Goslin Martin Associates. The High Reliability Podcast is focused solely on the healthcare facility management professional, and it's sponsored by the Career Hub. The Career Hub is powered by Goslin Martin Associates, so if you haven't checked it out yet, please do so. You can link to the Career Hub off of our main website at goslin associatescom uh, Before we get started with this week's guest... If you're so inclined and you're looking for opportunities, we have four open roles right now. Um, Just quickly, we have a director of the Environment of Care at UC Health in Cincinnati. We have a director of FM and Safety at King's Daughters Health in Madison, Indiana. We have a director of FM at Franciscan Children's right up the road here in Brighton, Massachusetts. And we have a director of FM at Bergen Newbridge Medical Center in Paramus, New Jersey. So you can check those out on our website as well. But today, we're not talking jobs. Today we're talking healthcare facilities management leadership and I welcome Jeff Schuler to the show. Jeff is President of GH Schuler and Associates in Mission Viejo, California. Jeff's firm provides consulting, leadership, and solutions for facility accreditation and compliance for ongoing survey resident readiness. The firm also provides expertise in engineering, construction, facilities management, and life safety and utilities management. Jeff is an experienced engineer in planning, design, construction of large, complex engineering projects, including healthcare, pharmaceutical, and biopharmaceutical. He has considerable experience in managing the operations, procurement, training, and administrative aspect of facilities and associated engineering construction projects. Jeff has served as Chief Engineer Facilities at Naval Hospital Camp Pendleton in Oceanside, California, and as Acting Chief Engineer Facility Management Services at Loma Linda VA Healthcare in Loma Linda, California, and as Facility Department Head, Naval Medical Center in San Diego, California. As you might have envisioned, Jeff retired from the U.S. Navy and Navy Reserves with 28 years of diverse but specialized experience as a civil engineer corps officer. His service included seven military tours and expanded roles, servicing line and staff commands in engineering, leadership, construction, and management. Jeff has his BS in engineering, and he has a master's degree in leadership from the University of Southern California. Jeff also has his CHFM and CHC. Jeff, welcome to the show, and thank you for making time.
1: Well, thank you, Peter. That was a, quite a, quite a robust introduction.
0: <laughs> Robust—that's a good one. It's Jack's, uh, my business partner. Jack, one of his favorite words is robust. But you know what? When you've uh, when you've got a career, then sometimes they go robust. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, Jeff, I I wanted to ask you just from the very beginning, not necessarily having to do with leadership, but whenever I see Camp Pendleton and you were chief engineer facilities at the Naval Hospital there, I think back. To the mini series The Pacific, which was on HBO probably 10 years ago now. In the eighth episode, uh, John Bassalone, the Marine, gets off the fundraising tour and he goes back into, wants to start training Marines again and ultimately ends up back into service and his death. But, anyways, he goes to Camp Pendleton in 1944. And I don't know if it's in the middle of a right. desert. I've never been to Camp Pendleton, but it's just, it's a sign. It says Camp Pendleton and it's sparse. And I imagine. From 1944 to today, it has to be a completely different setup. And I had to ask you, because every time I see that particular episode, I think of what it was then in 44 and what it must be now in 2021.
1: Sure. It, uh, well, you know, interestingly enough, it's actually right on the coast. Um, and, you know, our one of our main freeways, five freeway uh, that goes all the way from Mexico to Canada runs right by it. And, you know, at that time, it was little more than a two lane highway um you know that uh that went right by it but uh yeah that entrance right there don't know don't know which one it is obviously but or which what it's supposed to depict but it's it's actually right there on the coast so kind of coastal uh you know but a lot of a lot of low chaparral type of foliage around there so it was kind of interesting when i saw that as well
0: how big is uh how, do you know how big it was then and how big is it now camp pendleton
1: um, you know, I don't know what it was then, but I know now it's, you know, uh several hundred thousand acres, I think. Um it's it's quite a big facility. They do a lot of a lot of different type of specialized trading there. did
0: you enjoy your time there?
1: Oh, it was great. It was great. Uh, you know, brand new facility at the time that I uh, was working there and, you know, a couple years old and, you know, it was excellent to be part of that team.
0: So tell us, Jeff, you know, this is um this is a podcast just on leadership and healthcare facilities management. It's the first time we've broached this topic singularly, but obviously when you talk to people, you always talk about leadership. And and I wanted to reach out to Jeff for this particular um topic. We first met at the ASHI annual conference, I don't know, years ago now, not years ago, but multiple years ago. Jack and I were doing a one day seminar uh that Jeff attended. It was on a Sunday. So Jeff was that. in the audience and yeah, yeah, it seems like yesterday and you were, you know, you participated, uh, you know, we struck up a conversation at the end and I've always from that particular time, you know, you, your bearing or the way you carry yourself almost speaks to leadership. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a good way. Um, <laughs> and so tell us a little bit, Jeff, about your leadership experience, you know, for you've worked in the military, you've worked in healthcare management, you've got your own firm. Tell us a little bit about your leadership experience, if you will.
1: Sure. Well, you know, I think all of us, you know, come to it from a different place, but uh, a lot of similarities about it. And, and really, I learned a lot about leadership from the people I was around in school and as a youth and, you know, church groups and scouting. And, you know, I had a lot of military families that uh, were around uh, around me as I grew up. And then, you know, as an adult, you know, some more formal education and schooling and leadership, certainly with the military, But, you know, I started out, you know, really when I think about it, my leadership experience started out when I was playing sports and in music, you know, where I was following, you know, a leader, either self-designated, you know, as an informal thing or as a designated, you know, formal position in, in any one of the groups that I was in. And, you know, working with others, you know, kind of became the requirement for success of the team or the group at that time. And so, um, you know, from there it just grew. And then, uh, you know, when I went into the military and, you know, that certainly shaped my knowledge and understanding of what leadership was about. And I was able to take advantage of some, uh, additional formal education. And then I, uh, you know, lo and behold, uh, quite a few decades later, what, uh, went back to school, got, uh, got a little bit more focused on it. And I actually ended up going to USC where I ended up getting my master's. So.
0: I know that um, you know through our discussions. So Jeff, you know he's got his masters in USC from USC, and he's still taking additional classes relative to, to leadership training. What's it like, Jeff, going back to school now? I'd imagine you know that you've got a lot of younger students around. What's that like, being with your career experience and success and where you are in life? What's it like going back to college? it's
1: been a you know I, I tell you it really has been an, an enjoyable experience very eye-opening for me of course I'm bringing a, a, a much different focus and perspective to you know my experience at uh, at academia again I, I wasn't particularly a great student all through high school and <laughs> my first attempt at college or you know ended up with my bachelor's but it was it was uh it was a struggle and and it still was a struggle but I think I brought uh, to this experience, a, a different perspective of, Hey, I'm really, um, focused here on, you know, self improvement and development of, you know, what I thought I was actually pretty good at. And, you know, what I've discovered was, boy, could I have been a whole lot better. Um, and so that was, that was something that, that kind of opened my eyes. But I got to tell you, uh, being around the students, uh, on campus and in classes, you know, really, really smart people, just brilliant uh in in their own ways in ways that I probably wasn't able to to see or appreciate you know as a younger younger adult going going after my bachelor's but um it was a great experience and the energy that they have the enthusiasm that they have uh, and the and the intensity that they bring to you know in a positive way to to you know their courses of study whatever that is so it's been it's been a great great enjoyable experience and certainly you know part of the learning process uh, aside from just sitting in class and absorbing all the material and participating in what's happening.
0: So when you recount your career experiences, because I'd imagine a lot of your sessions they must be very interactive and 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 classroom discussion. When you uh, when you relate what you 've been through, when you bring your perspective to to the class are they are and when i say they i 'm talking about the the younger students there um what's their reaction to you are are they listening to you are they absorbing what you 're seeing or is it is it is it like you're in two different <laughs> two different lifetimes what's that like how do they how do they take what you offer
1: no that's a that's a great question and it's something I had to you know learn to be observant about as well. It was interesting. You know, just, uh, you know, last night I had a class and um, some of the comments and perspectives that uh, come from the students, you kind of wonder, hey, are they listening? Because it's, you know, kind of t- difficult because right now it's it's uh, online. We're participating in the, in the online version of, of the in-person classes. And some of the feedback that I'm getting is, you know, they really are interested in some of the experiences that I have had and uh, that have been afforded to me. And, you know, it just opens their eyes for a, from a perspective that, you know, maybe they don't see as often just because, you know, they're around people that tend to be more their own age. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, similar experiences from those, from those uh, friends or students or acquaintances that they have. And then all of a sudden they have you know someone with a little bit more time in the slot a little bit more experience and and they're they're interested to hear how that how that played out and you know learning from you know what that um exchange could teach them so it was it was kind of an eye-opener for me it's like you know what what do i really have to bring to this i certainly like i said before wasn't a great student when i when i was going at it uh before several decades ago, but, uh, now apparently, you know, the value that I'm bringing or one of the values that I'm bringing is, is I have had some time out, uh, doing and practicing and being a part of some different applications that, you know, they're, they're about to go into. So they're, they're very interested.
0: Yes. Yeah. You know, I, are there, um, generational leadership nuances that you're observing? And, and, you know, I asked that question, um, I was listening to, an interview this morning with um, Scott Drew and Scott Drew is the head coach at Baylor and Baylor just won the, uh, the men's uh, college basketball title. And they were, they they were asking, yeah, I don't, we, I don't know who you were rooting for, but uh, I didn't really have any rooting interest other than to see a good game. And they certainly blew out the Zags. So that I I wasn't, that's why I don't bet. Um, but anyways, <laughs> Drew was saying that um, you know, one of the things that he does, and, and it struck me when he said it because it really is a change, and I see this with 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 my kids too, questioning me quite a bit is you know, he said today with my kids, with my uh players, I get their buy-in when I explain the why. He's like, I, I can't just tell them to do it anymore. You know, I, right. I tell them why we're doing it. And that gets their buy in. And that's very different than coaches that we had. That's very different than the way Bobby Knight operated or take anybody from oh. even 10 years ago. But I said, that's certainly a, a generational change. Are there it things is. that you observe, Jeff, relative to leadership and generations that you, know, you would never explain the why 20 years ago, but you have to kind of no. now to get that buy in? Are there other things that you've noticed?
1: Well, there, yeah, there is. And it's interesting, you know, the, this is really the first time in history where there's been four or more generations working side by side in the workforce. I mean, it's just, you know, kind of unprecedented in that way. And so, you know, and, and that's important because, you know, each generation expresses their attitudes and behaviors and expectations differently. And so from that diversity perspective, you know, we can actually learn and grow a lot together as, you know, whatever the tasks are that we're trying to accomplish. And it's, you know, really proven to be very valuable to have a multi-generational workforce. Uh, you know, when, when it's practicable, you know, not, not every situation lends itself to that. Um, but certainly more than most people would realize. And so really the, the best way when you think about it, when you go back to, you know, the sports that we were talking about, you know, you're right. You know, I never had something explained to me as why I just did it. And I trusted that they had the bent interest to the team at heart or my growth and development at at their core as to why I'm practicing something for the, you know, 500th time that I think I know how to do. But really, it's it's, um, you know, the, the the wisdom that that um, is coming out. Um, based on, you know, the successes that we've seen all across the different lanes of, you know, whether we're talking about sports or business or whatever it is we're talking about, and, and really it's come back to the, the, you know, the leading indicators are that the best way to manage a group with, you know, conflicting work, work ethics or dissimilar values and personal styles is to understand what their individual characteristics and behaviors are. Because, you know, there's a lot of nuances there that are very powerful but subtle you know, how do they prefer feedback, right? How do they prefer to communicate, you know? And, and that was one thing going back to school, you know, everything's so electronic and digital, and I'm kind of challenged in that area. And, and uh, you know, it it really was comforting to know that uh, someone could help me with that. I, I remember sitting down at my first first day of class, actual first day of class at USC, and I'm sitting at a table with, a, you know, a group of of people that are very, very bright and and very smart, and they're also very into the technology. What's going on? And I'm an old take notes on a piece of paper and a three ring binder kind of guy. And uh, yes, you yeah. know, I I brought Me my too. computer just because I thought I'd you know try to figure out a way to take notes with that and keep up. And uh, you know, they they uh, were sitting around and we started talking, and they said, "Oh, we're going to pull you into the 21st century, here, uh, Jeff, because." You know, we're going to teach you a little bit about technology, and you're going to you're going to do great. So it was really helpful that way. So that was you know kind of a, my first experience and understanding is hey, there's there's some value in what this you know diverse generation brings because you know how we communicate is is very different. You know, some people like to have face to face communication. I'm kind of one of those guys, uh, and if you can't do it face to face, certainly over the phone. But you know, email and texting and you know, all the other platforms that are out there are are very useful to these guys, and that's how they do it. And you know, we kind of have to learn how to be comfortable doing that. And you know, how how do they prefer to have work assigned to them? Is is also another way to kind of think about you know how does that how does that work? And granted, you know, depending upon the the situation you're in or the company that you're in, there's there's preferences set by that culture. So it really is a diversional a, a, a diverse way of, uh, you know, getting the best out of everybody and, you know, to produce the best outcomes for, you know, whatever organization we're working with or for. And so I think it's actually a a good thing, but to your point, it is, it is an interesting time where, you know, you do have to learn how to understand who it is you're working with, um, because that's going to create the best possibilities that, that you all have of being successful.
0: Mm. Yeah, great answer. How do you, Jeff, let's go right to the this uh, topic about leadership. How do you define leadership, and what do you perceive as the biggest or one of the biggest challenges when you are a leader?
1: No, I, that's a great question. You know, get, we get asked that often, and, you know, we were asked that the first couple of, couple of sessions in our classwork. And, you know, I've attended enough leadership symposiums and been around it where it's been discussed enough. To where you know everybody is coming at it from a different perspective, and they have a certain agenda that they want to put out, and and it's great, and it's all been positive. Um, the the interesting thing is that uh, really none of them are wrong. Um, it really just depends upon you know how how far down to the to the base or the the real factor you, you know factors of you know what is good leadership and how do you define it. Do you want to get? And so really, it 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 caused me to think about this. Um, in a different manner and, and really it was proposed to me this way and and i i truly believe it that um you know really the the leadership uh, in in anybody is the ability to have uh for someone to have followers and you know you you have those through your behavior and communication and it sounds way simple way too simple right it's like no there has to be a more involved uh, response than that, that's just plain and plain and simple. But you know, kind of the old adage with that that thought process is, you know, if, if you don't have any follows, you're just a guy out taking a walk. So you know, if you don't look behind you and you don't see anybody behind you following, that's really kind of the way it is. And it it was so simple that it kind of struck me as funny, um, but it is true. And so, um, you know, then you get into, you know, what are some of the challenges that you have, you know, as a, as a leader, and I think there's, you know, quite a few challenges and, and some of them are misnomers. And so, you know, you kind of have to ferret them out a little bit. And so let's have a a quick conversation maybe about what a couple of those are just for understanding. Um, you know, when you talk about corporate America or even the military and, and, you know, just different organizations, formal or informal, I think there's a, you know, a, a a lot of organizations that reward behavior for following the rules, you know, and, and the norms. And certainly that's, that's uh, required. You know, organizations have them for a reason. And, uh, but it really does kind of stifle a little bit of leadership because, you know, there's a fine line between leadership and, and, uh, management, right? Um, mm. you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of organizations really would do well to consider um, you know, creating a climate um, where, you know, followers can be fully engaged and find meaning in their work. You know, we mentioned that back in the generational conversation that we were having. That's really, you know, when you tell people the why, it gives them an opportunity to find meaning in what they're doing. So, you know, that's that's critical. Um, another thing to you know, understand is that, you know, you really can change your behavior to a given situation. And uh, all it takes is a desire um, and an understanding. And, uh, you know, and if you're you're comfortable at being at work every day, really, um, you're really perpetuating your own status quo. You're not going to really grow and, and get better. And so really, it comes down to, you know, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, because, you know, with, without risk, there's no growth. And, you know, when things are a risk, people start getting uncomfortable, right? Uh, and I'm sure that's, you know, mm-hmm. we can all relate to that. And, different aspects of our life, whether you're talking about, you know, just around the house or relationship with our spouse or kids or whatever it is, you know, there's, there's just no growth because growth takes work and effort. Um, and so it's, it's kind of, kind of interesting, um, that, you know, those, those aspects apply to all the different, all the different, uh, uh, places in our lives. Um, and so, uh, it was it was interesting that I, I was exposed to a lot of these different concepts that I'd actually been working on and dealing with throughout most of my career on the civilian and military side. But I'd never really taken time to think about, you know, what does that mean? And so, you know, I I started thinking about, hey, what is it, you know, what does it take to make a, you know, a leader? And you know, it takes a lot of different things, but what I, I do know that I've seen in common throughout are a few things and that, you know, all great leaders really take time for reflection, which is the why of what you're doing, right? Not the what, The what is you going to do it, right? Doing work is, you know, it's tactical, it's granular, it's, you know, very specific, it's the doing, right? And strategic thinking and behavior is working on the um, life or your business not in it and so you know when you think about you know leadership it really is kind of a more of a, a strategy thought process of you know playing the long game the what if to you know move the the pieces that you know are are relevant to us um, for whatever application is um, it, it just it it just is required uh, if you're going to be as effective as you can be because um, you know while while reflecting and understanding, is you know really just being aware of something that isn't uh, good enough in your life in whatever aspect, right? And just being aware of it um, isn't isn't good enough as as because it's devoid of action and really um, it requires that reflection and mindfulness that really enables you to take action on what you need to do to be a better you or to make the organization better or whatever it is, because you know um, actionable knowledge is really the most important thing to focus on and all the different things that we're looking at, uh, from day to day. And there's lots of different input sources that we all have more every day. It seems like, um, you know, it, it really, um, it really does take, you know, how do you weed out all the static or the noise, uh, that's coming at us and, you know, how do you know what to focus on? And so, you know, it really comes down to what are those things that that is that are you know you can take action on that's going to um, move the situation or the issue that you have forward. Because you know, it it really does take um, some in, some strength, you know, internal strength, and it takes some organizational strength to to um, to do that. But what we we also know is that you know, strength, uh, you know, probably overwhelms smarts and knowledge, but really skill outperforms strength and smarts. And, you know, what does skill come with? Practice, right? There's a a great quote from, uh, that I heard and, and boy, I wish I was, you know, wise enough to have thought of it, but I actually heard it on ESPN and it, and it came, it was said, you know, several decades ago by somebody, I don't know who the author is, probably somebody really, really good at what they do. They said, you know, amateurs practice till they get it right, but professionals practice till they can't do it wrong. And boy, does that, you know, that really just rang rang true for me uh, in every aspects of what it is that I do. So, um, and, you know, to that point, it's kind of important to understand that, you know, development of any kind, you know, of of any type of development that you're trying to do, you're trying to get better at, is really different than training, right? Because development, it really comes from the inside out, right? It, It makes you more effective as a human, right? Where training... Is something that happens from the outside, you know, in it's learning, right? right. A new procedure yeah. yep. or a new practice, right? And it helps you functionally. It's certainly valuable, you know, and, and part of it. So really, you know, the, the biggest challenge I think for leadership is, you know, when we come back to your, your base question is it, it's recognizing that everyone you lead really is a unique individual and they're bringing some unique skills and talents. And they all respond to different types of input, you know, which is kind of interesting when you think about you know the the people in leadership positions you know are they aware of that and so that was kind of one of the one of the things that caused me to go, hmm, you know this is something I need to pay attention to so
0: well, how do you you know especially these days where like you said, you're getting inputs all over the place and and you're doing more with less and um there's just so many demands that are flying at leaders how do you find how do leaders find the time um, to get to know the individual how do they make that a priority because you're right I mean everybody you manage is different has different needs how do you make that time to do it
1: well you know that's a really good question because you know we're all pressed for time and it just seems like we're we have less and less of it every day. And I think it's certainly a function yeah. of how we set up our lives. Um, and so it really does kind of come down to, you know, a pretty straightforward process and that's really time management. Um, you know, do, have we set ourselves up in general um, to have that time that it takes for us to be reflective, right? Of Or whatever it is in our life, you know, when do you do that? Do you do it when you first get up? do you do it at some point in the middle of the day or do it, you know, after the, the formal work day is over because, you know, you, you come home and you know, that's sometimes that's when the real workday begins. you right. What you did in the first, <laughs> yeah. what you did in the first eight hours yes. was, was, you know, to make sure that you had the opportunity to be present for the second. So yeah, the appetizer, um, you know, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, you know, when do you, when do you find time to do that? So it really is um, I believe, you know, finding that time to, to be reflective about what it is, because again, if you're at at that point in time, when you're thinking about things strategically and you're, and you're trying to understand how to move forward, you know, either personally or professionally or move a team or a group forward or an organization, it really does take reflection. And that's really when growth happens, right. For the individual, Mm -hmm. for the organizations is when people do that. So how do you find time to do that? You know, I think that's a personal journey that everybody has to go on them, uh, you know, individually and, and uniquely themselves doesn't mean you can't talk about it with people, but, you know, if you're not finding time to, to be reflective at some point during the day, um, you're, you know, you're really depriving yourself and, and others that are around you, the ability to, um, you know, to grow. And so I think, you know, um, finding that, finding that time is critical.
0: Yes. Yeah. No, it's, it's true and it's you really do need to do it and you know we have um you know we've been doing some some Zoom classes just 45 minute bites and and I'm you know like you in that regard I I I try to make that time and I go you know I have my notebook and a piece of paper uh and a pen and I just sit there quietly and you know you just got to find that time it's hard to do and I always tell people especially in our classes when we're talking about career growth and where you know where do you want to be what do you want to do you need to carve that time out and you know, I know my kids love to use, uh, you know, the computers, the, the their iPads, sure. and I tell them, sure. especially my oldest, who's a sophomore in college, you know, as you're thinking about it, just get a pen and a notebook and sit there quietly. Get right. rid of all the inputs in your life because that's when you right. know, and that's when you determine courses. It's just so important to do it and. You don't want to, because when you have that time, you might be tired. You'd want to go to bed, but right. it's, it's critical. Like you said, without it, how do you grow as a leader or as a, in a career or as a person?
1: Right. And and it, you're so right. I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day when we were driving somewhere uh, with a, a family. And, you know, my kids are a lot older, but, you know, still still engage in, in a lot of different things together as a family. And, and as we're driving, I noticed you know, everybody's kind of you know, they have the their phones and they're on it and they're, you know, social media and they're listening <laughs> yep. to things. And, you know, I think about, yep. <laughs> you know, opportunities lost that you don't have to just not have to have something in front of you 24 hours a day with yep. constant input and just be alone with yourself for reflection or be alone with yourself about thoughts or engaging with the people that are around you, you know, being present. And that's yeah. one of the things yep. that, uh, that really kind of, you know, stuck with me is as, as the age of electronics started coming into itself and, you know, smartphones and everything else, you know, we had a rule and, uh, in our house and that you, you know, you don't come to the table with your phone. So we had a basket and everybody put their phone in the basket and that was the way it was. And I remember, you know, there's, there's always a, 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 a what if situation and a but for <laughs> con- conversation because. I remember I sat down at the table and I hadn't taken mine off and put it in the basket and it, and it buzzed, it rang, right. It was work. And it was just a, you know, it happened to be a situation where I was uh, working at that time. They needed to be able to get a hold of me, you know, mostly twenty twenty 24, seven primarily, but you know, it went off and, you know, all the kids and, and, you know, the, the, the mom, you know, oh, you know, dad had his phone with him. What's <laughs> going? they put it in the basket. I go, hey, yep. as soon yep. as your phone starts putting money on this table, you can bring your phone to the table too. <laughs> so, you know, you kind of have to be a little yes, a little bit wise about how you're you're administering that. But you know, the point's not not lost that really it does it does you know mean that you need to need to make sure that you have time away from all of the input sources just to be alone with your thoughts because. Um, it was interesting. I noticed a lot of people are very uncomfortable with being alone with their thoughts and they don't share what those are like. They don't you know, appropriate sharing um, what those, what what that feels like for them, because it can get scary sometimes, especially if you haven't had to do it because you're constantly bombarded with all this input, you know, pay attention to this, you know, do this, uh, listen to me. And, and really, it really is okay to just sit in a car and ride, and look out the window, and pay attention to what's going on around you, and think about those thoughts that you haven't had time to think about or made time to think about. So, it was a it was a great eye opener for me when we were when we were driving the other day.
0: Yeah, no, I mine as you and I have talked a number of times. Mine are. My kids are younger than yours, and I see it, and I'm on them all the time, and it's constant. You know, they get sick of hearing me, but I don't care. <laughs> sure.
1: No, no, I, I agree so you, with you. I don't care either. <laughs>
0: right, exactly. Exactly. They'll thank me at some point. So, you've worked, yeah. Jeff, and you continue to work both in healthcare FM and healthcare planning, design, and construction, and each is each is stressful in their own right. Each is very visible, especially, you know, construction when it fails or, or when there's sure. an issue. Is there a difference between FM leadership, facility management leadership, and planning, design, and construction leadership? And if so, what is it?
1: Well, you know, I was, uh, you know, interesting question because I was looking at those two roles um, recently at a organization I was visiting, and you know, certainly the daily tasks and the things that they need to focus on and the outcomes are are in their world drastically different. Um, but really, the, the goal is the same. Um, so I started, you know, boiling it down to what really what is it, you know, that is that is uniquely different. And, and I, I came to the conclusion that there really isn't much difference. There's some subtleties in their trade specific or their task specific um, but, you know, what we know is that, you know, the, you, they all have the basics um, requirements uh, that you, you need to have in any type of leadership role, right? They all need communication. You need to have effective and, you know, good communication um, in both roles. Uh, and certainly when you're talking about, you know, leadership, you have to have empathy, right? Um, because what we know is that empathy is the fastest way to um, imbue trust with people and without trust, people aren't going to follow you. It's just that simple. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, people that do follow you that don't trust you, they're going to be watching every single thing that you do, uh, more closely to see what your motives are, because really they, they want to understand and, and, you know, where they're going and more importantly, why. Right. And then of course, commitment, um, you know, the commitment that, that you have to them as, as, uh, uh, someone that's, you know, part of the organization. And so, you know, the, the, the roles um, between FM leadership and, you know, planning, design, and construction leadership, a um, little bit different, but uh, really, you know, I think the, the FM leadership uh, has specific stakeholders that you're dealing with uh, every day, more of the frontline healthcare workers on a daily basis because they see your staff um, and you every day because you're responsible for the physical space that they're doing their job in, right? And so, you know, can you, can you bring to them your professional expertise and understanding the you know the details of your building or your campus? I like to think of it as as the ship, right? If if you don't know every nut and bolt of your building or ship or you know whatever it happens to be that you're you're working on, you know you, you're probably not as good as you need to be or could be, and and I think it's a disservice to the people that are counting on. Uh, you to create a space for them to do their job, you know, help healing people and helping people if, if you don't understand that. And, you know, PDC leadership is similar, but a little bit different in that, you know, stakeholders are a little bit more at the executive level, um, you know, mm-hmm. boards of directors, right? Um, they're really on the, the leading edge with, uh, as far as, you know, what healthcare providers need or where they're going, right? Functionally, to design buildings and stay ahead of things. And, you know, certainly there's all sorts of, of interaction and, and intimate um, uh, conversations and communications between the two um, trades or, or two um, specific um, skill sets. But really it, it comes down to, you know, who who are you going to be interacting with uh, more on a day-to-day basis as far as the, the subtleties and differences. But the basic you know, changes or the basic leadership capabilities. Um, I, I think there there isn't much difference at all. I really do think it comes down to you know how well you communicate, how well you know your people, you know how well you're promoting their growth, and you know what you're bringing to the table for your your end end client. Um, and you know, really, it, it's it's all about be able to gaining that trust and and. Effectively um, using that for you know positive outcomes with the individuals that you're leading, and certainly for the organizations that you're working for.
0: So, once you lose trust, do you only have? Once you lose it, is it gone for good among with your uh, with the folks you're managing?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, and I, I think. You know, unfortunately, I think it depends. Um, some people aren't very forgiving, but I tell you it's a it's a long hard road back um, because, you know, it it uh, really is going to take some time to build that trust back up. And and really one of the one of the ways I guess to do that is to kind of own it, right? If you if people see that they recognize you made a mistake and you own it and to whatever degree is required, you know, you apologize for it um and get on track with doing the right things, people are gonna see your, you know, your genuine um sincerity about, you know, making mistakes. Because guess what? We all make them. Um and so now it comes comes down to are you gonna take that experience as a learning experience? Are you gonna take that as uh you know something that you know you should have already known uh and you know you just made a mistake and you you didn't quite you know do it correctly. So really, you know, that's, that's a tough part for a lot of people. And, and I'm, I'm no exception. I had that, I had that, uh, experience more than a couple of times and, and it's unfortunate. Um, but you know, really it, it does come down to, you know, Hey, what do you, okay, so now what are you going to do? Right. Fell down five times, but I got up six. So, you know, I'm going to just continue being a better, better version of myself. And that's the dedication that I'm going to bring to, you know, not only me, but, that's the professionalism that I'm going to bring to the organization that I'm working with.
0: Do, do you have, as you think back through your history, do you have a most challenging leadership situation in the, on the FM side or the PDC side that you can recall? And, and how did you navigate it? Is there one you that know, stands out for you? Yeah, it,
1: it, it was interesting. I was just happened to be thinking about this the other day for, I'm not sure how I actually got to this space, but um <laughs> you know, we've all had had many challenging uh, situations, whether it was personal or professional. And, um, you know, so I just happened to be thinking about this one that was professional. And and it was interesting because I was I went to an organization that I was helping. And, um, you know, uh, it, it, it's interesting that I see this more often than not. But, uh, you know, it, it's the same challenge uh, over and over. And, and I believe that, you know, there's a reason the same challenges keep coming, coming at you. Um, because it's, it's, you know, kind of the universe's way, way of making sure that you're getting it right. No, you didn't quite do as well as you could have on that one. We're going to put this in front of you again to make sure that you, you get another swing at it. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's really, um, about, you know, if someone's, um, you know, fearful of, of trying something new or, you know, they don't want to color outside the line, so to speak. And, you know, why is that? So it really comes down to understanding that. And so the situation that I was in is um, I was, you know, working with an organization that um, I came on board and, and they were really hot and heavy in that joint commission window. Um, they were, you know, they were thinking they were about three months away uh, from their survey. And I started working with them. And the uh, actual survey happened three weeks after the day I started. So it was like, wham, it was right up on top of you. So, you know, everybody, of course, was already aware and amped up and, you know, focusing on doing well and, you know, creating all of the information that's needed and processes that are are going and and doing the things that they'd already been practicing. Um, But, you know, they were really struggling to... um, you know, feel comfortable and confident that they were going to do well. And really it was, it was interesting. I I had an opportunity to sit back and watch what was going on with the teams of individuals. And, um, you know, it it really was a lot better. The situation was a lot better than I think any of them could have imagined um, based on how they were talking and behaving simply because I think they were in it, right. They were in the fray. So, um, you know, I was able to sit back and, you know, just uh give a little nudge here and, you know, a little bit of, of conversation there. And, and, you know, the good news is that they had all the documentation that they needed. They just didn't have it organized very well. And, you know, the interesting thing about Joint Commission, it's not really a surprise, right? They give you the playbook. They tell you what right. the answers yeah. are. So, there's really no reason that you can't be prepared and start doing those things and running the hospital that's going to you know, end up giving you the the results that you want in your survey. But really, more importantly, it's not about the survey. It's about how are you running your facility to ensure the safety and well-being and the and the best possible health care that, you know, people that are coming to your, your organization are looking for. So, you know, these guidelines are put in place by, you know, really sharp people. And they've looked at, you know, what's going to create the best possible outcomes for the patients that are going to be showing up here. And you know, hey, why don't we start looking at those things first? So um, the the end result was that, um, you know, through a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work from the individuals that had been there long before I was, um, and, you know, late nights, um, they actually probably did the the best they had ever done in a, in a survey before. And that was due to, to all of their hard work. But, you know, when you look back at it and, and look at the challenge from leadership, really my ability to uh, lead was something uh, that was really a gift for me. And that was something that I didn't want to uh, waste because I saw how important it was to everybody in the organization. I saw how important it was to uh, certainly me. And so I, I just really wanted to, to take the effort and time to know, look, if it doesn't work, that's okay, we can change it, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't do something, right? Because if you've, you know, you hear, the, you hear the statements all the time, oh, I've never done that. Well, you know, I remember a specific conversation I had with somebody that was really stepping into a role that they were totally qualified for um, during this survey process. And uh, I, I had talked with them about this and I said, hey, I, I think that, you know, we would like you to be this person and fulfill this role. They said, you know, I've never done that before. And I said, "Well, um, let me let me be very candid with you. Um, I will not let you fail. There is no way that you're going to fail based on your abilities and your knowledge. You're going to be overwhelmingly successful at this. And I think sometimes you know we just need to hear that from somebody that there's,
0: you know, they have they have
1: confidence in our abilities, and and that you know, okay, so if if we you know have a little hiccup or we stub a little bit." it's going to be fine because that doesn't define, you know, that your whole program or or issues is is goofed up and it needs improvement. Um, It just means, you know, hey, pay a little bit more attention to what's going on here. So I think, you know, part of that, um, you know, uh, leadership is to is ability is to recognize, you know, individuals that might be struggling with a little bit of self-confidence or, you know, certainly it comes from a place of of care and concern because they want to do the best that they can do. And, uh, you know, I've always approached the situation that there there's always somebody that wants to do a great job. Everybody wakes up in the morning, you know, thinking, Hey, I I want to be, I want to do my job. Well, I want to be better than I was yesterday. So, um, but that was, that was kind of one of the, one of the challenges that I thought was kind of of unique and that it created an opportunity for me to practice. Uh, you know, being better, and it um, really had some positive outcomes for the team.
0: Yep, yeah, it does. That mindset, that success mindset, is so important. I know that you know, even with you know kids or when you're coaching, you're just continually trying to give them that positive reinforcement. Um, oh, that they absolutely, can do it. absolutely. We are, um, or so. I'm speaking with Jeff Schuler. Jeff is president of GH Schuler and Associates, Associates in Mission Viejo, California. We're talking leadership and healthcare facility management. A um, couple more questions sure. for Jeff. Jeff, as I said, you've worked, you know, you've, you've 27, 28 years, 28 years in the military, um, you know, private sector work. What did the military teach you about leadership? And how does military leadership differ from differ from private sector leadership? Well,
1: you know, great question. You know, I get asked that a lot. And, you know, a lot of individuals get that, you know, hey, how is leadership in the police department different than, you know, anywhere else? Or how's leadership in the fire department or in, you know, what mm-hmm. whatever. Certainly military comes into that. Um, and it was interesting that, um, you know, it it is different, but it really isn't. And, you know, I think what, what's different is the structure, right? Um, it's, uh, you know, based on what it is that you're trying to do and the outcome. I mean, clearly, you know, in, in the military, you know who your boss is. There's never any doubt. A lot of times you wear it on your collar, um, you know, and, and so it's very straightforward about, you know, who you're going to report to and how things are going are to roll out and who you're going to be taking direction from. On the civilian side, uh, it might not be as obvious. Um, and it takes some time to understand that, especially if there isn't clear communication. But, um, you know, it was, it was interesting to note that, you know, um, leadership really is, um, the basis for how organizations, uh, move forward and, and do well in what it is their mission is. So, um, you know, in in the military, they obviously teach you a lot about leadership and many, many courses about it. I've taught it in, in the military side as well. And, um, it, it really is um, kind of the same thing, um, but it just depends upon you know how you're going to communicate about what that is, and you know unfortunately sometimes you get you get to work with some leaders that aren't as good as you would like them to be or they need to be, but I think that also is a learning learning lesson opportunity and a and a process that will that will make you better as as a leader as well because we all know we've seen people do things or we've watched people do things that uh, you think to yourself, man, if I'm ever in that position, I am not going to do that. And, you know, what's what's that if it isn't a great lesson, right? So, (laughs) um, you know, but I mean, if you think about it, the military, I mean, you know, certainly the obvious things, right? You know, they're, you know, they deal with natural disasters, right? They deal with, you know, resource deficiencies, logistics issues, communication issues, emergency issues um boy that sounds a lot like civilian life as well just on a different scale or from a different perspective right right because you know a lot of organizations have resource deficiencies a lot of them have logistics issues talk to me about an organization that doesn't have communication issues um you know and of course in their own world you know they all have emergencies that they need to deal with so you know similar but different i think and so um i think you know the military and and You know, certainly first responder organizations bring a a sense of and a a perspective of discipline. And by discipline, I mean focus and intentionality and processes that some civilian organizations don't bring. But I think civilian organizations also bring the ability to, you know, um, play outside the box a little bit, maybe color outside the lines that might not be found so productive inside the military and and for the the most of it. Um, You know, certainly the military does their... Does their thing very well uh, when it's required, and and they certainly have aspects inside the organization that will um, allow them to be creative. And really, I think that's kind of one of the things that that happens.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned the uh, the chain of command. One of my Earlier bo- bosses, who like a long time ago, well, not a long time, long enough ago, was um, ex military, a gentleman by the name of Chris DeCaro at um, uh-huh. Arsenius Medical Care. Great guy, great guy. And I mean, I learned a lot from him, especially on kind of the interpersonal side, the, the soft sure. skill side. He was very good, but he was chain of command. Uh, it, he was big on the chain of command, always on the chain of command. And I, I took that from him even to this day, you know, and I'm not in the military, but you just, you stick within the chain of command a lot of times. And I do it only because I think it's respectful and, right. and not to go outside and around people. But I, right. every time I think chain of command, I still think of Chris because he would say that chain of command, Pete, chain of command.
1: Right. No, it, it's true. It You know, one of the things we get asked or we talk about, you know, frequently in different ex- aspects is, you know, what do you, what do you do, you know, when you're working with a boss and you don't know much about them? Well, you really kind of have to learn more about them, you know, uh, whoever that is and their strengths. Because, you know, really your number one job is to make sure the boss is informed and to make sure that it's not just about looking good. It's about making sure that, you know, really they're walking into any meeting that they're going into as the smartest person in the room yeah. about whatever the topic is that they're going to go into. And, you know, the reason that they have you there is so that you can make them smarter. Um, and, and that's really what, yep. you know, you know, we talk about, it takes a village, right. Uh, to raise people or to help people. And that's part of what it is. It's a responsibility to that, you know, that you owe your boss to keep them informed and to make sure that they're not going to get blindsided by something. And so really that, yes. that is, uh, the, the takeaway
0: from that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it was, uh, he was big on it. And, uh, it's always stuck with me. Uh, last question for Jeff Schuler, who's joined me today. We're talking leadership. Jeff, president of, as I said, G.H. Shuler and Associates. And this is, you know, just this question just popped to me, Jeff, as you were talking. Um, where a leader fails, where or w- when a leader fails, is there a reason that sticks in your mind or is there a particular reason they fail or is it usually a number of different circumstances contributing to failure? Um, you know, I, I, I think guess you're not you're, supposed to end on a negative, but I thought it was a natural yeah.
1: question. <laughs> well, I, no, I, I think it is, but, um, you know, we don't have to end there, you know, we could always ask another one, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, um, I think there's, you know, contributing circumstances, certainly sometimes it might be the issue at hand, you know, where all, not all the information was known, but you know, when you're talking about leadership, um, I think a lot of times when people struggle with the success of, of leadership, it really comes down to a couple things. Um, you know, pride um, is one, hmm. and uh, lack of curiosity. Um, because if you're curious, you're going to ask questions about people that you have working with you that are really smart, um, and you're going to listen. And then the other thing, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about pride um, because you, you know you either think you you don't need to know or you or you already know and they're you know you're not making room or the space for the possibility that maybe just possibly there might be something that you could pick up from this so that humbleness right that it has to yeah. always be present um really i think plays a big part of it i know that doesn't sound really cool and and uh you know like a, a great um you know off the cuff answer but I, I think it really does speak to the issue of you know leadership really does start from within and the better you know yourself, um, the, the better you will, you will be at understanding and, and, you know, the reasons you're doing the things that you're doing, whether it's communicating or actions or what, whatever those things are. Um, and so that's why if you really don't have a sense of yourself and understanding you, uh, and how you are and how other people see you, um, you know, you're not going to be as effective as you could be. And so I think that's that's part of the reason why I think a lot of people struggle uh, when when you know they do and we all do. Um, it's just the facts yes. of how it is.
0: Well, I think you know that's a great answer, not just because I agree with you, but you know we were, um, you know, we do in in the class that you went to, and we've pared it down with COVID and Zoom and right. everything else, not being able to go great in person. Class, but, by you by know, way. Uh, Oh, thank you, but we thank you very much. We talk so much though about soft skills and technical skills, and obviously you need the technical in this environment, but you also need the soft skills as you and I have been talking about. but I think that um you know whenever we talk about soft skills and I think you hit on it, Jeff, I think a good leader needs to be curious and they need to ask questions and then they need to stop talking and listen and right. I think that's difficult uh, that's difficult for a lot of people to do that, sure. I think. You know how sure. often have we been in meetings where somebody will ask a question and then they'll answer their own question? And you're right; it's, <sighs> pri- it's. I agree so much with what you said there.
1: Yeah, so I have to show you how smart I am again. Syndrome, right? Um, when yeah. when really you don't. <laughs> I mean, everybody knows. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it it, yep. it does no, happen I... that way. It was it was interesting. You know, in all the Zoom classes I've been taking, uh, you know, finishing up my degree. Um, the, what it's interesting is when the professor asks a question, it's just crickets online. I'm like, Oh man. And, you know, I, I know, or I want to contribute something, but you know, I, I feel that I probably already contributed enough. And so I want to create the space for other people that haven't, that are in the class to say something and then they just won't. So it's just, it's painful. Yeah. But, uh, so I've had yeah. to learn to just be quiet. Right. And, and just to let that <laughs> silence hang there uh, and let other people become more uncomfortable than I am, you know. And so had a couple of conversations after class with the professors and let them know, hey, I, you know, that silence is painful for me, too, because it's painful for them. Um, but uh, I want to let them know, hey, I, I just I think I'm helping because I'm I'm not being so, you know, up in the in the answer column because I want other people to feel the opportunity to step in and, you know, maybe say something where they haven't said anything all semester.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's funny, so, you know, when you're saying that, uh, it 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 kind of paints a picture and I haven't been I haven't been in school for a, a long time now. It's uh, man, I don't know, over 25, 28, 28 years, but right. I'm thinking back, you know, when it's in person and and you just painted that picture when the professor would ask a question when you're in person you can always at least kind of look around to your classmates and you get right. those nonverbal cues that maybe somebody's right. going to jump in. You get none of that in Zoom. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you don't know if somebody's preparing. There's just, it's zero. So I'd imagine that's even more exacerbated online.
1: Right. And that's some of the challenges of, you know, being not in person. And, you know, it just, it's just part of things that you have to overcome. And There's things that you can do to make those learning, online learning sessions a little bit better. But uh, you're right. It's difficult it is very difficult.
0: Well, Jeff Schuler, I enjoyed uh, our conversation today. I appreciate you taking some time out to speak. And uh, I know it's a little earlier out there on the West Coast, so we started a little bit earlier. So thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.
1: Quite welcome. Enjoyed it. And I certainly appreciate the opportunity.
0: My pleasure. So this is Peter Martin from Goslin Martin Associates. Thank you for listening to this episode of High Reliability. And uh, as you always, we will be back with another episode in a couple of weeks. Check out our new jobs, check out the opportunities. But most of all, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Have a great day.